Hi, this is Elliot Berman. Welcome to an archive edition of This Week in AML. Uh, we hope you've had a happy Thanksgiving. John and I are taking the holiday weekend off, but we wanted to bring you an archive edition uh, of the podcast. And we chose the piece that we did in the Pandora Papers, Global and Local Financial Secrets, um, from early October of this year. We think it's important uh, to keep this story uh, top of mind with uh, all of the complex things that have been identified by the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists and the Washington Post. And we thought that it was worth having you listen to it again. So please enjoy this archive edition of This Week in AML and have a great rest of your holiday weekend. And we'll be back live next week. Hi, John. How are you this week? Hey, Elliot. How's it going? Uh, it's going okay. Kind of a rainy day here in the Midwest. Um, you know, some weeks you and I sort of go, well, what do you want to talk about? We've got lots of choices. Some weeks we don't have any choice. This week there's only one choice, and that's right. the Pandora Papers. They're, st they're staying with the P theme, obviously. From, Clearly. Uh, from the other um, paradise and... Uh, Panama. Panama. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously there's a lot of really smart people that are looking at this. The uh, International Consortium of Investigative Journalists um, are doing stories every day. That's all the major papers are. So a lot of this stuff will continue to play out. But I thought it would make sense just to give our quick reaction. And obviously we will plan to to do more or certainly pass on what we see as valuable to our to our clients. Uh, but, but sort of a big picture thought I had here is nothing so much to do with the content of what's in the Pandora papers, but what's going on in terms of whistleblowing and leaking of documents, obviously, you know, um, the, the uh, Pentagon papers had to be Xeroxed right. <laughs> you know, thousands of pages over, over months before that could be quote leaked or distributed. That's not the case anymore. So there's more and more opportunities for good, bad, and neutral reasons uh, to disseminate information like this. That's true. That is absolutely true. Um, I thought one of the interesting things, you know, there's a, there are so much in here that it's, it's hard to get your really wrap your head around all the detail, but um, it's pretty clear that while sanctions have been effective in, in many circumstances that there's, there's some clear evidence here that there's, there's been some significant sanctions avoidance, um, that we're now seeing uh, pop up. Um, I thought that was very interesting. I was disappointed, but not surprised to see how many heads of state right. around the world were mentioned in this, current and former. Um, you know, particularly uh, where their actions and their rhetoric are totally misaligned. That was uh, not also not surprising, but uh, um, for uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens to them politically through time as a result of this disclosure sure yeah king king abdullah of jordan you had the president uh Zelensky of yep. ukraine ukraine so yep. yeah that that obviously is both embarrassing and you're right it's hard to know um what's going to come from this i think the other part too in terms of our world um what is going to mean in terms of potential legislation or studies one of the store one of the themes in the stories was the use of two offshore trusts by an art dealer for the looting of Cambodian artifacts. So, you know, one of the questions we're going through the process of looking at the antiquities world to be under BSA, 
I think this makes it very clear that art will also be under BSA at some point. I think that's right. Um, and uh, I wonder whether there's a, there'll be enough reaction uh, politically in the U.S. to amend the, the uh, Anti-Money Laundering Act section on the uh, uh, Ultimate Beneficial Owner Registry to make it public. You know, yeah, it's, pu- I, I, it's public in the UK. Um, so uh, Belgium too, I believe. I think yeah, that's right. Right. So, I mean, there is precedent and, uh, you know, a private one in the light of all of this disclosure makes you scratch your head about how, you know, how effective will it really be if it's, uh, if it doesn't um, have the power of sunlight on it. That's right. And I've seen something just reported today that there'll be legislation, if it's not already introduced, that's been t- described as something called the Enablers Act, which would amend BSA to include gatekeepers. So um, interesting, because that's always been something that's been sort of lingering, you know, lawyers, real estate accounting firms, right. um, you're making that case. And, you know, I think that's one thing that will happen. I also think, besides what you mentioned about the uh, registry, I think it's pretty clear that once everything sort of shakes out with the beneficial owner uh, laws and registry, very little chance that they would um, tailor back the CDD rule uh, that banks have been implementing since May of 2018. I I just don't see that. Uh, You know, Congress has a short memory, so who knows? Maybe in a couple of months they, they no longer care, but I think it'd be pretty hard for that to happen now. So I think legislation, one of the other things that's really interesting to me, who would have guessed that South Dakota was a player in this, right? We knew about Delaware, Nevada, Alaska as places where, you know, there's, uh, you know, onshore uh, activity, uh, onshore trusts. It's no longer offshore is no longer the pejorative term because we, you could argue South Dakota is the same as the Cayman Islands for gosh sakes. And I think what's interesting is nobody knew about this outside of the legislatures that pushed this because nobody focuses on this until something like this happens. So I think there'll be, you know, further oversight on what, you know, what are we doing here? Where's, where's the transparency? And I I think that's going to be the major question. Yeah. And it'll be very interesting to see, you know, uh, from a federal legislative perspective, because so many of, um, the way we do corporate law in the in the U.S. really at the state level, um, and uh, uh, also, I mean, essentially, trust companies are uh, are ba- are just corporations with a special purpose. It, it'll be interesting to see, other than using the gatekeeper approach, which you talked about, um, uh, it's not perfectly clear that you know we could have sweeping federal legislation that would make what's happening in South Dakota illegal, illegal per se. Not saying it right. couldn't happen, but, right, you know, right. it's not just, uh, well, Congress will pass a law and that'll go away. It's like um, that would be challenging, I think. So Right, but that's why you have the gatekeepers Correct. potentially yeah. do that. So, no, you're, you're 100% right. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, sunshine is the best disinfectant, as they've been saying forever. Um, right. You know, I think the other thing here that I heard, which is really interesting, is how come there's not that much... U.S. reference in these papers, and uh, some one of the reporters said, "Well, because here uh, the taxes are so less 
on the very, very wealthy that they don't really need to do offshore banking as much as the foreign uh, kleptocrats do. Whether that's true or not, it's kind of an interesting, interesting take on that. But I think the sanctions issue, do they work, becomes a question. And does there need to be more legislation at the federal or the state level? And what are folks in South Dakota and other places think about their state you know, being a haven for this type of activity. Not not illegal to have offshore banking, obviously, uh, but some of the activity is clearly enabling, um, you know, money laundering and the use of illicit funds for other actions. So uh, I think this is, these sorts of disclosures are always valuable. Now we need an intelligent response to it, but I think we just got to stay focused on this and, you know, continue to, um, you know, see what legislation makes sense, what does it, and just how, how best to help our clients in the community navigate all this. And keep reading. I've probably spent five or six hours um, reading from, you know, the various sources, the New York, or the Washington Post and uh, the Guardian and, you know, a number of other uh, very uh, sophisticated journalistic enterprises along with the coalition um, have done a uh, or the consortium rather have done a, uh, a lot of work and just wading through it, um, is, uh, uh, is a time consuming thing, but worthwhile. So I encourage people to find one or more sources and do some reading. I agree. Um, we'll, we'll stay on top of this. And, uh, as, um, as news breaks, uh, if it's worth reporting on a particular week, we'll give you our two cents. Yep. So I'll do the uh, shameless plug again this week. Uh, if you're uh, interested in this and our other podcasts, uh, please find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. And John, I'll let you do the shameless plug for the webinar this month. So the webinar this month in October, late October, is with two individuals that um, have done so much in our space. Jack Sunshine, who's a career auditor, Rick Small from Truist. And we're going to talk about um, navigating and working with your internal auditor. We'll probably talk a little bit about exam uh, do's and don'ts as well. And uh, it's, it's an area that we constantly get asked about. So we are uh, definitely excited about this program. Yep. You can go to our website and sign up so that you get the link and, uh, we think it's going to be an interesting program. So join us for that too. John, I will talk to you next week. Take care, Elliot. Stay safe. All right, you too. Bye-bye.